I think a reasonable place to start this topic is to look at a study from October 17, 2017 in the Journal of Psychopharmacology. And the title of that article was called The Relationship of Classic Psychedelic Use with Criminal Behavior in the United States Adult Population. And if you jump to the very end of that study, the conclusion, I'm just going to quote them, is that having ever used psilocybin is associated with a decreased likelihood of larceny, theft, and other property crimes, as well as decreased likelihood of assault and other violent crimes, end quote. And so if you're less likely to steal and cause property crimes and hurt other people, if you have ever taken psilocybin, it raised the question of whether this drug should be used in forensic settings, like meaning should it be used in people that have criminal pasts or criminal intents. And while I definitely won't be going over all the studies of psilocybin, it is interesting to me that this is becoming more of a research topic in formal medical journals. And it's not that surprising to me. I think the attempt to bury psilocybin has been as successful as attempting to bury a seed in the ground. I find it very akin to what happened to Galileo with the church. You know, the church was saying, we don't really care what the science shows. We don't care what you're seeing through your telescope. If we say the earth is the center of the universe and the center of the solar system, then you need to accept that because that's what we feel is our interpretation of God and religion. And of course, that's insane. And this anti-science pushback is not just from religion. There are all kinds of people that push back on science. You know, I remember when I was a kid back in 2000 watching the Foo Fighters be major HIV deniers. I say I was a kid, but I was actually in residency. So this really affected me because this was a big time for AIDS and HIV. And it was well past the time that HIV was proven to cause AIDS. So the HIV virus was discovered in 1981. So I'm talking about year 2000, the Foo Fighters were going on media like MTV and other interviews and actually holding benefits for a now abandoned group that said HIV was not the cause of AIDS. And they were actually saying that HIV medications, antivirals, were the cause of AIDS, among some other crazy thoughts that they had. And what my point is, is that there are strong reactions to legal medications and illegal medications that are often bound in total conspiracy theory. And that backlash obviously isn't just for medicines and medication, but all of science. And by the way, I have never seen the Foo Fighters recant their participation in that. Meaning, I've seen Dave Grohl do benefits for AIDS, I think Elton John's AIDS Foundation, but I've never seen them come out in an interview and be like, that was darn stupid. Probably because some of them actually still believe that kind of conspiracy or they just don't want to face up to what was really terrible advice for their multitudes of fans and everybody that was listening to rock and roll at that time, which is a lot of people. In these conspiracies on science and medicine and whole groups of people has really affected society. It really has been a living hell. So if we get back to psilocybin, if you think about the insanity of it, that it might decrease theft and violent behavior and property crimes and the crime is just being in possession of the drug and we've put many many people 
in terrible prisons, which causes not only the torture of isolation from your family and loved ones, psychological torture and physical tortures that you have to face in these prisons. It's really just an irony. And so now we're studying this substance to see if it helps people facing major depression, facing issues in end-of-life care where they're very fearful, and perhaps even keep people from having a criminal mindset. It's literally nuts that societies across the world, including the United States, make this such an illegal activity without ever really wanting to study it until recently. And some people say, well, man, some people have some bad trips with this stuff. And I get that. The negative experience, you know, first of all, some people just have to learn that the trick is to surrender to the flow and realize your brain or the mushrooms or some other force is trying to get you to recognize and acknowledge something dark. And that might allow for the sunrise to begin. And the bigger question, is a bad trip experience a negative for the long term? Or is it a positive for the long term that makes people change when that happens? Heavy, difficult contemplation can make people better. Meaning, I think about a lot of things I've done in my past, even when I was a little kid and didn't know better. You know, I still sometimes am up at night thinking about someone that I bullied. I wish I could get in contact with them. But it makes me better to obsess about that once in a while and be like, I just don't want to be that person with anybody else in my life going forward. And I have seen so many interviews and actually met so many people who have taken things like psilocybin and ayahuasca and said they were actually able to unleash those demons from inside, from their past. And so I don't think bad trips is why this should be illegal. Now, it is a very low toxicity drug, meaning I don't know of any overdoses. I'm sure at some point something has occurred. And probably there is some risk of accidental death, particularly traumas. And I strongly suspect and almost sure that set and setting who you're doing these kind of things with and the people that are influencing you at that time also probably have a very big impact on whether accidents happen or you develop some sort of craziness. Meaning there have been and will be times where people use these things in cults. And so there will be negative outcomes from these drugs used in uncontrolled settings, and it is not going to be a free ride for everybody, nor has it been. And yet that doesn't mean we should be making people go through hard time in prisons, and it doesn't mean that this should be a scheduled one drug, and it certainly doesn't mean that the scientific study should be ignored or feared. And I think so much of that fear comes from the inability to really describe this, right? So Aldous Huxley and Thomas Wolfe and Hoffman and all these people have been writing about this in depth. No matter how much they talk about their experience and how talented they are as writers or speakers, it still doesn't give the person the real experience. It's fascinating to hear their opinions about the ego death and their relationships to music and art and other people and the physical world in how they feel those relationships change for the better for them, it still is just reading about it. And now branches of science like Western medicine are trying to determine if those are actually beneficial effects. 
if you try and describe taste to somebody, like the taste of chocolate or the taste of a hard candy, um, strawberry flavored or pineapple flavored or mint flavored, it's easy to do to somebody that's never tasted those things if they've tasted other things, or at least easier to do. But it would be really hard to describe taste to somebody who has never been able to taste anything, who has never been able to smell anything. And I do think that's part of why there was such a pushback in the 1960s when Harvard professors like Timothy Leary and Ram Dass, both at Harvard, started exploring psychedelics. And really, there was no way for their colleagues or the scientific community or really America as a whole to be able to relate to what they were trying to say. And they would go on to say a lot of things about it, but I think at the heart of it, what they were trying to say and did actually say in different types of words than what I will use, is that they learned something through this substance, psilocybin and others, where you couldn't learn it through academics and reading and lectures and even modern religions. Of course, Ram Das would go on to be a student and a devoted one of his guru in India and become a guru for many, but still would credit the psychedelic experience for opening up what he had not previously known was there at the time. There would be many before them and afterwards, you know, all the way from Aldous Huxley to tons of different musicians and artists. But the medical community and the scientific community certainly would not follow them in these pursuits. And really, the pursuits were overall shut down by society as a whole. And that's why it's really interesting to see some of these new studies coming out in real medical literature journals about something like psilocybin. And what they were trying to get at at the time, and again, I'm not trying to be too narrow on what they were saying, is that if you begin to realize that you are more than who you think you are, that you may be able to rise above what's keeping you down internally, particularly if that constant voice we all have in our head is focused on the negative, maybe if those stuck in whatever cycle they're in, and maybe even depression, like we're going to talk about a little bit today, if you're able to feel love for the world and yourself, which is an experience many report with psilocybin, then maybe it will be a true therapeutic for a certain portion of the population. That maybe for some people, if they had deep, profound access to spiritual dimensions, it will potentially improve perspective. That if you're able to turn on certain parts of the mind that helps you connect more with the world and the universe, and at the same time, turn off parts of the mind that are obsessing about things that are not beneficial for you, well, then at least we can accept that maybe that's a much different pathway than just increasing serotonin in the brain with serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And that's not to say something like psilocybin doesn't profoundly impact neurotransmitters, because obviously that's something that it does. Though while it affects neurotransmitters, we're not really sure how it works, but all we know is that user after user of psilocybin says they not only start feeling connected to everything, they have a reduced sense of self and ego. And I think since so many people, when they don't understand something, they really fear it, or they use relationships that really don't exist, meaning like, I'm a physician 
And what I see with almost all illegal drugs or abuse of even legal drugs like alcohol is really just devastation. And that's why I kind of get when society talks about something like psilocybin, which I think has no relationship to addictive drugs, meaning I've never met anybody that's addicted to psilocybin, nor have I met anybody that has taken psilocybin that would want to take it on a real regular basis. I'm sure some of those people exist, but I bet they burn out on that pretty fast. And then I think it's also very hard that there are attempts that people utilize to describe to us what their trip is like with psychedelics like psilocybin. And since there really isn't the uh, adjectives or way to relate it in the same way we couldn't really well explain what taste and smell is like to someone who has neither of those senses, we could try and we can probably get closer than what their original understanding was, but until they taste that chocolate, until they taste whatever it is that they're going to taste, they really don't completely have an understanding. They just kind of have an outsider's view of it. And so when some people try and describe psilocybin trips, for instance, they'll say things like you have infinite compassion or infinite wisdom. And um, I've heard that said by a lot of people, and I just don't buy it, meaning I don't think infinite wisdom is there. In fact, um, I don't know anybody who's taken psilocybin and then truly believes they could fly a fighter jet without ever having experience doing so. So it doesn't all of a sudden impart infinite wisdom on people. It's not going to help you pass a calculus test without studying calculus. It's not going to help you understand a book without reading the book. But there is a wisdom, maybe a connection to the universe that does exist for a lot of people. And that's why a lot of people describe psilocybin trips as monumental events in their life, even if they've only done it once. That ability that they access something that they had no idea was there, something more powerful than taste and smell and even vision. It's really um, something that they describe as a connection, not only to like the solar system, but the entire universe itself. And one of the places you see psilocybin being used in medicine, in research, but I think a lot of the time people are doing it not in research protocols, but just because they feel it will help them, is towards the end of life. And apparently a lot of people have felt that using psilocybin in a significant dose with a terminal illness has decreased their fear of death because the reality that they're living in, this reality of Earth, which is an amazing reality, is no longer the only thing out there. And that can decrease fear, apparently, in some people when they're facing a major issue like death in their life. Because that life is going to end and now they're going into an unknown, and that fear of the unknown may not be as severe. But pulling back for a second, I think it's also important that people understand that psilocybin while it may have its place in those sorts of scenarios, obviously has no place in the reality of life when 
you have to get things done, meaning you never, ever want your pilot to be tripping and psilocybin. You never, ever want your physician to be making decisions on psilocybin. You don't want anybody driving ever on psilocybin because the laws of the reality of the earth we live on still apply, meaning physics and gravity and all these things that can cause enormous destruction can be temporarily ignored by somebody who's on psilocybin. The psilocybin is taking them deep within themselves and as a result, finding that God within, they're moving out into this infinite universe. Well, of course, that is not a good place to be if you're trying to drive a car at that time. And yet that doesn't mean that psilocybin-assisted therapy may not have a place in certain treatment options. So, for example, in the Journal of the American Medical Association on November 4th, 2020, there was a study titled The Effects of Psilocybin-Assisted Therapy on Major Depressive Disorder. This was a randomized clinical trial. And this was done at the John Hopkins Bayview Medical Center. And those who got psilocybin got two psilocybin sessions. And in this small study, it seemed to work for them. So I'm going to read from the editorial section in this same JAMA issue. And what the editorial said is, the authors report rapid relief of depressive symptoms and high rates of response and remission that were sustained for more than four weeks in a sample of 24 midlife adults many of whom had chronic depression. So it's an interesting beginning in this literature. I shouldn't say total beginning because there have been some positive effects and some studies on cancer patients and other populations. But, you know, some of us think about the ketamine studies. And ketamine, while it did help with depression, the effects lasted for a few days to about two weeks. And I should emphasize that actually the authors of the psilocybin study that say ketamine only works for about two weeks as an antidepressant. I think there are other data sets that say it does last longer, but nevertheless, it's not something that lasts forever for depression. And I should also emphasize, I really, really don't think psilocybin will have a very, very long acting effect um, for depression. It just may show that there are some other bigger things out there and take a little bit of a load off. To be sure, there has been millions of psilocybin users and there have been many people who have used psilocybin that later in life have become depressed and even suicidal. So it's not a cure-all. And again, I don't think anybody's really claiming that it is, meaning that there are people that may benefit from it with severe depression or end-of-life issues or dealing with their cancer, but it's never going to be the only thing that helps those situations. There will never be a drug or medication that solves everything in the sense that SSRIs certainly do not work for, well, probably the overwhelming majority of people that take them, including SNRIs and MEO inhibitors and ketamine, is not going to work for everybody and psilocybin is not going to work for everybody. Each thing has its problem and certainly ketamine has a lot of problems. And that's something the psilocybin study authors like to point out and I will just quote them by what they said which is, ketamine has high abuse liability and its administration involves moderate psychological risk that requires medical monitoring. 
Well, we'll see where this psilocybin stuff ultimately goes with modern medicine. Obviously, it's going to be used outside of modern medicine, whether it's adopted by MDs and DOs and NPs and PAs that are interested in this stuff. But the thing is, is, you know, so much of depression is internalizing thought disorder. So much of OCD is rumination that happens within the mind. And I think these experiments where people are trying to figure out, can you pierce the veil of those things, so to speak? They're going to be really interesting to watch, you know, these guided psychotherapy sessions under psilocybin. I'm glad these things are being looked at. I don't know where they're ultimately going to end up, but if I had to put money on it, I think it's going to help a lot of people and hurt a few people. And when the stakes are really high, a lot of times that risk-benefit equation, you know, obviously it does take a lot of pre-discussion and shared decision-making, but not very much unlike some serious conditions, you know, I have to think of anything like lymphoma, where a chemotherapy regimen can save you, literally cure you, and yet some people it will harm them and cause them an earlier death from sepsis and all kinds of side effects that come up. Yet most people would opt for that chemotherapy regimen or stem cell transplant that's really risky in those situations. And I think people that suffer from highly chronic depression or are very fearful of end of life or whatever issue that psilocybin is going to be tested in, those are often very serious issues. And yes, it's easy to say, well, for a few people, it unleashed mental health issues that were underlying or somehow got access to parts of the brain that broke those walls down and now things are worse. And these are going to be really tricky things to study because it's like with marijuana, you know, there are some people that feel they get a tremendous benefit from it. Um, obviously, a lot of people just like getting high, but then there are some people who start smoking marijuana and their family members swear that it made them so much worse as far as developing uh, schizophrenia and other mental health issues. Now, of course, the question always is, did they start using that drug on a regular basis because they were feeling that mental health disease coming on and they were trying to self-medicate? Or did it truly just start from the drug itself? I suspect there is some of all of that with marijuana, but at the same time, I really want to emphasize that psilocybin is nothing like marijuana. I think the thing that binds them together the most is the legal status and that certain people that like marijuana like psilocybin and vice versa, um, particularly you know, in certain types of crowds like hippies and others. Just like it wouldn't be really fair to compare Haldol to Propofol. They both can relax people significantly and in different ways, but they're far from the same drug. Just as we can say, mushrooms are very different from each other. I once knew a mushroom, and he did seem like a really fun guy, but he didn't have many morals, so we stopped being friends. But the biggest point is that... It is not the same thing as marijuana or other drugs for that matter. When you talk to people that have used psilocybin, you know, it really was a life-changing event for almost all of them. They can still recall that day 
and the importance and impact it was for them uh, for the better and sometimes for the worse, but it was highly impactful. You know, marijuana, a lot of people use it in college or high school and remember laughing a lot or music sounded great or sex was awesome or whatever um, they were using marijuana for versus the profoundness of tripping into a whole different type of consciousness for transient time and then coming back into reality and having to deal with that reality. Something that can make people rethink their connections both in real relationships and to money and to all kinds of objects. Well, we know that for some people using the wrong guide, you know, the Charles Manson followers probably on the extreme end of that. He really was the wrong guru. He was the wrong shaman. And on the other side of that, there's plenty of people who have explained and truly experienced that they were able to let a lot of stuff go within themselves or the things that they held holy that really shouldn't have been holy. And getting rid of those greed feelings, those bottomless pits of always desiring more can be really beneficial and help people move on to a higher plane of existence for them. And therefore, if they're able to break those bonds with things that are causing them pain, maybe they can get out of their depression or anxiety. And again, I'm not saying that's going to be the case with psilocybin, but I think it is interesting to follow these early studies and see where it's all going. And no doubt we'll be watching a lot of episodes of pushback. You know, it wasn't just in the 1960s that the pushback occurred. Some of that still exists now. So there are going to be communities of physicians and scientists who say, why would you want to become one with animals and plants and rocks? That just sounds like it's so weird as they jump into their Lexus and go watch horses race at a track or whatever they think isn't weird. Yet, I suspect it is those connections, that feeling that everything is connected, that you are connected to everything in this universe from the single cell organism to the clouds in the sky to your family and your friends and your pets and the things you don't even know and you yet know you're connected is part of the reason why something like psilocybin might be working for some of these people with chronic depression or severe anxiety about dying or dealing with their cancer issues. Those things some in the scientific community may say, oh, it's really hippy-dippy, but you know, the sun is life for us. Water is life for us. We all are connected by those things. Even something as crazy as fossil fuels, very named appropriately, liquid fossilized organisms that warm our houses and help us travel this planet. That's connection to death that happened thousands of years ago. There is a connection and I think we lose that day to day. That connection, that death is actually what makes this life so amazing is that we have it for just a flash in a pan, a very limited time of the billions of years that this world has existed, and yet we need to make the most of it because we have that connection that we are not going to be here for very long. So if that's what psilocybin ends up doing for some people who are in a bad space, that will be good for those people. But again, I just don't know that's going to be good for everybody.
I suspect it won't be. So we'll have to watch this stuff closely. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it's a little bit different from a lot of my other episodes, but if you made it to the end, I think you are digging it. All right, this is Dr. Gil Pratt. I'll catch you on the next round.